Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Let's get a bit uh, too much, maybe, but I want you to notice, particularly the names of some people, I'm going to spend the time this morning dealing with those. The title of the message is The King of Grace. You probably won't recognize the meaning of that title until the very end of the message. Beginning in Matthew, the first chapter, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar. And Pharaoh begat Ephraim, and Ephraim begat Aram. Aram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nason. Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon. Of her that had been the wife of Urias. And I'll stop there because you're probably saying, All right, already, that's enough. All of these names, but some of them become very important as we look at the genealogy of Jesus. Some of you are interested in genealogies and have developed your own. You can't go back very far, I suspect. I can't go back very far at all. Someday I'm going to see how far back I can go. But some of you have developed it well. But you will notice that we have just begun the listing of the genealogy of Christ, but this is through Joseph. I'll make more mention of that in a moment. The Old Testament is full of the prophecy that there would be coming a Messiah. Isaiah said in chapter 7, verse 14, that he would be born of a virgin. In the 53rd, excuse me, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we have in the 13th, a uh, third verse, I should say, in the third verse, these words concerning the prophecy of the coming of a Messiah, that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Daniel said in chapter 7, verse 13, that he would be one like the Son of Man, and that comes from the episode 
of the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children when they looked in and saw a fourth person described him as being one like the Son of Man. Isaiah, again, in chapter 9, gives us a description. And I want to go to that one. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. Micah said that from you one will go forth for me to rule Israel. Zephaniah said, He will be the king of Israel, the Lord in the midst. Zechariah said, He will be just and endowed with salvation. And on and on, we could go throughout the Old Testament reading the prophecies of one coming to be the Savior, the Messiah. The Jews were well expecting that there would be a Savior. Tragedy of it is, when he came, they rejected him. The reason they rejected him was that he did not fill their concept as to what the Messiah would be like, where he would come from what his nature would be and what he would do once he had arrived. They could not believe that their king was going to be born in poverty, in a manger. This was unacceptable. Neither could they accept his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of humility, when they conceive of him as being a man of war who would overthrow the Roman government and reestablish, when he came, his kingdom. Now, the prophecy is true, and he will come as a mighty man of war, and he will be uh, exemplified in his coming as a person of authority. They did not conceive, however, that there would be two comings of Jesus Christ. They only thought of one coming. We know that there is two comings. His first coming to be the Savior, his second coming to be a king. And in fact, he will be that very definitely. So Matthew begins his story of the life of Christ with identifying that the person that was crucified on the cross was indeed in line and is still in line to be the king of the Jews. But in order to establish his right to a kingship, there must be established the lineage that would bring him back, as the Old Testament prophesied, even back to David, and he would be the son of David. When Jesus stood before Pilate during his time of trial, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus responded, You have correctly said, I am king of the Jews. For this cause I was born, and, and for this I have come into the world. Jesus said, and that's recorded in John chapter 18. Yes, he was come to be a king. Where's the proof? Is he of royalty? I'll go back to 2 Samuel a moment. Second Samuel chapter 7. The prophet Nathan is speaking to David. And these are the words of the Lord that the prophet Nathan gave to David, who was then king. Verse 12 of chapter 7, 2 Samuel. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, this is talking to David, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy vows, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. There will be a throne upon which a descendant of David will sit forever. This we know, of course, is Jesus the Christ. During the time that the Hebrew people were establishing the promised land and going in and dividing up the land and taking certain portions, they had to know what tribe they belonged to in order to know where they were to live. And if you were of a certain tribe, then you were to live in that certain territory. Except for the tribe of Levi, which were assigned certain cities and the land around them because they were to be the priestly tribe of the nation Israel. But before you became a priest, you had to verify that you had the blood of that line in you all the way back to Levi. Paul was very concerned during his life that he had a lineage all the way back, and Paul identified himself as being of the tribe of Benjamin. But, I want you to listen to this. In A.D. 70, something happened to the record of all the lineages of the Hebrew people. When the temple of Israel was destroyed, there is not a Jew from that day on that can prove what his lineage is. Because it was all destroyed in the destruction of the temple. Jesus is the only, the last claim legitimately to the throne of his father David. And 
Nobody from that day on can verify that he could possibly be the Messiah, though there is no verifiable record since. But we have the verifiable record in two places in the New Testament of the lineage of Jesus, one in Matthew and one over in Luke. If you go to the Luke record, in chapter Chapter 3 of Luke, beginning at verse 23, we have Luke's lineage of Jesus. And I'm not going to read it all, so don't get excited here, but I want to start you out with chapter 20, uh, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as it was supposed, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph who was the son of Eli, and so on, which was the son of, and on, and the son of, and the son of, and the son of, all the way back. The Luke record goes from Jesus and follows his lineage all the way to Adam. The Matthew record begins with Abraham and comes up to Jesus. Now, why do I make such an emphasis upon this? You're going to see before this morning's over. I told you that uh, I want to make some references to some names in the lineage of Jesus, particularly from Matthew. I want you to go in your Matthew uh, book there to the 12th verse of that first chapter, and I want to call your attention to a name. You will find it in the lineage of Jesus through Joseph, his earthly father, the name Jeconias, J-E-C-H-O-N-I-A-S. What do you know about that guy? He just won in the list. Jeconias was an evil king of the, of the Hebrew people. And Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 30, you'll need to turn there, states that no man of his descendants, referring to Jeconiah, no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Why is that important? Nobody who was a descendant of this man will ever sit on the throne. And he is in the lineage. He is an ancestor of Jesus himself through Joseph. Had Joseph been the father of Jesus, literally Jesus could not sit on the throne. That's the point. Are you with me? I'm going to give you a history lesson, I think, more than anything else this morning. 
had Joseph and the natural father of Jesus based upon this one man that Jeremiah said, God said, will never have a descendant sit on the throne. If Jesus is the son of Joseph, biologically he cannot be the king of Israel. Because he's in the lineage. Okay. The blood descent of Jesus comes through Mary, which is in Luke. And in that line, we can trace Jesus without any statement that no descendants will be uh, prohibited from sitting on the throne. All right. I want you to look at a few other people. In the lineage listed here in Matthew, we have Abraham. We think of Abraham as being a very upright, honorable man, but you know twice he lied about his wife and, and claimed that he, she was his sister. I mean, uh, that's the kind of guy he was. He was so scared for his own wife that he was willing to, to pass off his wife as his sister for fear that Somebody look at this 90-year-old woman and say, boy, she's a pretty good-looking gal. I think I'll have her and, and take her away from Abraham. That was the concept. She must have been a good-looking woman. Preserved well. And Abraham was afraid somebody would take her away from him. David, in the line of Jesus, was an adulterer a murderer, and a very, very poor father. David was not a good family man. He didn't control his boys at all. He had a terrible time with them. And he wanted a certain woman named Bathsheba so badly that he was willing to commit adultery with her, and since she was pregnant, and then, in order to cover this up, he had to kill her husband in battle and thought that he could cover all of this stuff up except it was known to God and God revealed it to him. The son of that union died in infancy. But they have another son called Solomon who is in the line, of course, coming down to Jesus. Here's a man who couldn't control his appetites, and he had many, many wives and a whole lot of concubines. He was not a very moral man, but he's in the line of Christ. And on and on we could go with other men in this same line, but I want to turn our attention to the women in this list. All of these aren't men in the list. Look at verse 3. This is interesting to me. I hope that I'm not boring you with this type of approach this morning. Well, I want you to look at verse 3. Judah, this is called Judas here, begat a man by the name of Pharez and Zerah, twins of Thamar. That's not a location. That's a person. That's a woman. Generally speaking, we use the term tamer instead of uh, phalar. 
same name. Do you remember anything about Tamar? Tamar was a girl who was a Canaanite who married the oldest son of Judah. His name was Ur, E-R. He was a wicked man, and God killed him and left Tamar a widow, and it was the responsibility of members of the family to marry her in order to raise children in the memory of their son. There was not another son of Judah who was willing to take her as a wife. They refused. Even though Judah promised Tamar, I will see to it that one of my sons marries you. Well, in the long run, uh, Judah's wife dies, and Judah, being lonely, goes to town. And Tamar knows that he's going to town, and she's bitter because he hasn't kept his promise to her to get her married to one of these other sons, and so she dresses up like a prostitute and sits in the streets of the city, and Judah comes along and sees her, and he's lonely, and so he bargains with her. And she agrees, and for a price, goes to bed with him, and she becomes pregnant by her father-in-law and bears twins, Perez and Zerah. And Perez is in the line uh, of Jesus through Joseph, uh, through, yes, Joseph, uh, born in prostitution and in incest. Then there is another person in this list over in verse 5 that becomes interesting. Her name is Rahab. Notice in verse 5, And Salmon begat Boaz, that's Boaz, of Rahab, generally pronounced Rahab, or A-H-A-B. You may remember that the Hebrew people were surrounding Jericho just before the walls came tumbling down, and they had sent spies into the town, and a prostitute in that town by the name of Rahab believed that God was going to do something and destroy Jericho and, and let the Hebrew people be victorious. And so she bargained with the spies that uh, uh, she would protect them if they would, when the city was destroyed, protect her and her family. And they agreed to that. And when the city was destroyed, the harlot Rahab, the prostitute Rahab and her family were preserved. And this girl, Rahab, a, a prostitute, married a man of the Hebrews the name of Salmon. And Rahab and Salmon have a son by the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz becomes uh, a, a, a name that will be in memory because he is the fellow who owned the fields that saw Ruth out there and finally ended up marrying her. And that's the next person we need to talk about. Ruth was a Moabite. That doesn't seem to mean anything, but I want to explain to you why it's important that we understand that she was a Moabite, and she married into the family that produced Christ. Now, who is Ruth? Well, as a Moabite, you remember that uh, uh, Lot, we have to go back to Lot, had two daughters that escaped Sodom and Gomorrah with him and went out into the, into the desert, into the mountains to live, 
And the city was destroyed, and Lot's wife turned in the door salt because she looked back. Out there in the wilderness, these two girls said to each other, We're here all alone. The only man in the whole wide world, as far as we know, is our father Lot. And we're going to die old age. We'll never have any children. I tell you what, let's do. Let's get our father drunk, and we will go to bed with him so that we can have children. And so they agreed to that, and they got Lot drunk. One of them went to bed with him one night, and the next night he did the same thing over, and both girls became pregnant. The oldest girl produced a boy whose name was Moab. Now, you begin to see something? This boy, a Moab boy, became a thorn in the flesh of the Hebrew people. They were bitter enemies of the Hebrews. The tribes of the Moabites and of this distasteful tribe that was born in incest and drunkenness produced a girl who was honorable and good and moral and upright to the name of Ruth, who went out into the fields of uh, Boaz to gleam, and Boaz looked out there and saw her, and she was a Moabitess, and he loved her, and they married, and so... This girl, Ruth, becomes the uh, grandfather of David. She was the mother of Obed. And Obed, you will notice there, begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Obed, I should, uh, should say she was the great-grandmother of uh, David. Obed was the grandfather of David. All right, let's look at another woman in the story. And that we have to go to Bathsheba. I've already talked a little bit about Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a very attractive woman to David, and but she was married to the, one of his generals, Uriah, who was out in battle. So he had an affair with her, and she was pregnant, and he had to have Uriah killed. Uriah was a Hittite. We're talking in the adult class this morning that I taught the men's class about uh, facts in the Bible. Uh, up until just modern times, secular history said there were no such people as Hittites, even though the Bible identifies them 50 times in the Old Testament. There weren't any Hittites. The Bible's got to be wrong. There's no record of the Hittites in secular history. Therefore, the Bible's wrong. Until recent years, when there has been unveiled and revealed through archaeological discoveries, the complete history, or at least good portions of it, of a Hittite people. So the Bible, again, is proven to be right. All right. He was married to a man who had come into the Hebrew faith. He had been a Hittite. And so... He has to be killed, and they have a child, and it died in infancy. But Bathsheba and, and uh, David also bear another child in the name of Solomon. Born uh, now out of the result of the father and mother come together in adultery and deceit and murder. Jesus' ancestor is really a patent place, isn't it? Sounds like Turtle Creek. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Of all of 
these people who have this kind of background produces a person like Jesus Christ. But it couldn't be through Joseph's line because of one man in the line could not possibly allow him to sit on the throne if Joseph is his father. So something has to take place. Matthew 1.18 says that now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. When his mother Mary was espoused, engaged to Joseph, before they lived together, she was found with child, not of Joseph or somebody else, but of the Holy Ghost. This is what made Jesus divine. He is completely physical and has the same kind of earthly family that you and I have. And I doubt that any of us could produce much better genealogy. We would have our horse thieves and our murderers and our adulterers and all the other things in our history as well, if we knew the story. Most of us would not want to know all of those things about our people in our lives. But the Bible is absolutely honest and identifies the good and the bad about people's lives. But it is out of this that a person is born who does not have an earthly father but a heavenly father that becomes the Savior. And over in Luke, you want to turn over there to the first chapter. We will find, beginning in verse 30, the further description of the birth of Jesus being something different. Verse 30 of the first chapter, And the angel said unto her, that is to Mary, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus was a common name, so that hasn't said much so far. But here's the description. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God, shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. He will be a king. He will sit on a king in Jerusalem forever and ever because of the promise of the scripture. And God is his father. Verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be? And I knew not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost will come upon thee, and the power of the highest will overshadow thee, and therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called not the Son of David, but the Son of God. This is who we worship. God can take the worst of all mankind and produce his own son. What can he do with us? It makes no difference what our ancestries have done, but it does make a difference. 
than what we do. It's important that we as individuals not look back on our history and say, I've got a marvelous background and therefore I'm saved. That doesn't do us any good. Now does it wash if we say, well, I've looked up my genealogies and I think they're all terrible. There's no way in this world I can possibly save. That's not true either. Because God looks on us all as individuals. He sent his son, born of a woman, a good woman, a moral woman, one that he selected. But not born of man, born of God. He is the Father of our Savior. And I hope we remember that during this season of the year as we celebrate Christmas. We know we're worshiping not a man that simply has a lineage back to David. But more importantly, we're worshiping a Savior who has lineage back to God himself. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.